Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Jeremy Cohen, the official capologist for Knicks Twitter, also a podcast co-host for Knicks Film School, and a fantastic writer for the Strickland. And we're getting into every implication of the R.J. Barrett deal, including what it means for the Knicks' flexibility going forward, all that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Hey, what's up, guys? You are Locked On Knicks, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms. I include, you know, this if you're seeing my smiling face on YouTube, certainly go check us out on YouTube. If you're not a YouTuber, for whatever reason, please go throw us a subscription. We are approaching 3,500 rapidly. I would love, 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 love to get to 4,000 by the start of the season. So if you're not subscribed and you could throw us a bone, we would really appreciate it, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster in the swing of things, start of high school football season. Uh, Alex Wolf is not joining me today. He is the fantastic editor-in-chief of the Strickland, but we are joined by one of the Strickland's best writers, one of the best Knicks podcasters out there. I would argue just flat out one of the smartest people covering the Knicks, period, and that is the fantastic Jeremy Cohen to talk about every aspect of this RJ Barrett deal and give you a whole lot of optimism on why this contract is fantastic for the New York Knicks, gives them plenty of flexibility going forward, and why on the whole we should be very optimistic about the Knicks' future. But without further delay, let's get into it right now with Jeremy Cohen. All right, guys, as promised, we are lucky enough to be joined by the fantastic Jeremy Cohen, uh, both one of the funniest and one of the smartest guys on Knicks Twitter. Normally those things don't go together, but Jeremy, you you managed to pull it off, man. It's been over a year, uh, so welcome, or right around a year, but welcome back to the podcast either way. Happy to have you. uh, How's your offseason been? Uh, Well, first of all, I'm flattered. Gavin, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, Offseason's been busy, you know. It's uh, there's a nice calm period where I felt like I was able to really recharge my batteries, and now we're just in a staring contest. And uh, I, I so want it to be over. I'm sure all Nick fans yeah. want it to just be done with. Jazz fans too, probably. But uh, yeah, things were were good until we got into this situation, and now let's just fast forward if we can. I don't know if Jazz fans want it to be over. I feel like they know that this is like their last like gasp at relevancy yep. for like yep. the next four or five years. <laughs> They're saying, you know what, man, drag it on. Let's let's do this two, three seasons, however, however long we can get those pot shots in at Knicks fans. But um, I, I'm with you. It, it feels like a lot. And and in turn, I, as I was uh, writing the outline for this episode, I was like, man, how can we avoid talking about Mitchell too much? I was like, you know what, you really can't. Let's just let's just go for it. Um, I guess that being said, let, let's start as grand as possible. We can try and get a little bit more granular as we go, but uh, you are you are the cap guy um, in 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 on Nick's Twitter and in, in Nick's podcasting. Uh, very very good at it. So I figured we, we couldn't pass this opportunity by. Where does this R.J. Barrett contract leave the Knicks in terms of their flexibility going forward? Because I was trying to run through it today, and we we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast recently. But the idea of that 
a, a team and a culture is fun and exciting until you have to start paying all those young guys and you're you're not only not winning championships, but you're not winning 50 games a year. You're stuck at 45, 46, 47 wins a year. And it's like, oh, crap, we got to give Emmanuel quickly $16 million a year. Quentin Grimes, oh, you know, he's one of the best 3 and D guys in the league. Let's throw him 20. Obi Toppin all of a sudden is averaging 24 and 8. And I almost feel weird bringing those guys up because as we're dancing around, there's a very high likelihood that one or, or maybe even two of them won't be on the team in the near future. But that that's sort of where my mind went with RJ. What kind of flexibility do they have to pay those guys if they pop going forward? Or do you think the Knicks have positioned themselves with all the assets they have that they can kind of move in and out to whatever configuration of these guys that they most prioritize keeping going forward? So the number one thing that I think is best is that the Knicks have team control and there's not a moment in which I don't want them to trade RJ, but if they traded RJ, they would be able to do it whenever. I know there's been some confusion about how Randall had six months and then it expired and isn't RJ the same. It's a very different situation. Rookie contract, it's just the poison pill. For example, Zion Williamson, John Morant, Darius Garland, those are three players who sign max contracts. They can be moved at any point whatsoever. It's just they have even more drastic poison pills because they signed for the full max. Uh, so with RJ, you at least get team control, and that's what Brock Aller has been all about. It's why the Knicks capitalized on Julius Randle's All-NBA season, where, granted, I know we're in a very different position than I think a lot of us thought we would be in, but the point is the Knicks did it with pure intentions. They wanted team control. They didn't want to have to play it out. And the other thing to consider is that if Julius Randle were a free agent this past offseason, then there would have been a lag in terms of when the Knicks could theoretically trade him. Now, obviously, you could make an argument. Should they not have? Should they have? We can kind of come to a conclusion maybe in the next few weeks. Maybe it's longer than that. But with RJ, at least, it just it kills the suspense of what are the Knicks going to do? We don't have to wait till the October deadline. We don't have to run the risk of, all right, if the Knicks did want to trade RJ Barrett, where they don't have to wait until basically the end of the trade deadline in 2023 until, um, you know, six months or so after that. And the reason I say six months is that if it's an extension, it's, there isn't an issue. But if it's not an extension, if he's a free agent, even if he's restricted and signs, then you have the issue of six months. So, You'd be looking at from February through, you know, December, January, in which you can't move that piece. And that's an important piece that you hope to have long term. But clearly the Knicks have some interest in moving him or they're not they don't feel he's indispensable considering how he was at least in these trade talks. Whether or not Utah was super interested in having RJ uh, or not is a different story where the Knicks also had an eye towards how do we leverage RJ into taking this deal, that's another story too. Uh, but a big factor as well that doesn't seem big at the time, it, or at least in the present, is that before this extension, the Knicks were actually projected to be in this in the uh, the tax range. So they were going to be paying the tax for the 2023-24 season based on if RJ made more. Now, I don't want to say, I'm still waiting for the numbers. I don't want to say it's mitigated or, or it's not going to happen. But the likelihood of it happening is lessened. And that's important because while one might think, well, it's just the salary tax, or the, you know, just the tax, whatever, Dolan can pay it. Yeah. But you're also trying to think of the long term future, which is you don't want to fall into the repeater tax, which is basically in four years, three of them you're paying the tax. Then there's some harsh penalties. So this is a very long winded way of saying, I'm really glad they got the extension done. It lines up, it's not a max. 
pro player. So it would have been nice from an art, from every player's standpoint. I wish all of them could get maxes, but uh, from as a Knicks fan, I'm glad it was where it's at. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm interested in terms of what this means for the Mitchell negotiations. And you you were you were just sort of dancing around, going too far into it. But I I want to get into it a little bit because it it seemed almost like. RJ was used as a bargaining tool going both directions, both of the Knicks to, to leverage negotiations with Bill Duffy and say, all right, if you don't want to end up with Utah, let's find a way to get this deal done. And in the other way where it's like, all right, like either you take this RJ driven package and we get to keep all three of those other young guys and maybe take one pick off the table or where you're starting from square one, when you don't really have another feasible offer out there. Um, I guess this is all a long winded way of saying like how, I'm not even sure how much it matters now, but how on the table do you think RJ was? And are you happy that he's quite possibly off the table? At first, I just didn't believe it based on everything we've heard. But there have been enough people who seem to be trustworthy that are saying, no, he was on the table. So I have to take their word for it. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that the Knicks looked at Bill Duffy and DeAndre Ayton and how Aiton didn't want to sign anything but a max contract. And the Suns didn't really even offer five-year max. So they played it out. And, I mean, eventually, Aiton signed an offer sheet. The Suns matched it right away. They can't trade him for an extended period of time. They can't trade him to Indiana for a year. You could also make an argument that if they found a way to use Aiton in a trade, because he was already under contract and there were no restrictions, they didn't have to bend the knee to him to determine where he wants to be. The Suns maybe could have gotten Kevin Durant. You know, obviously the Nets decided we don't want to do it, but that was a key element that then took the Suns off the board. And if they had played it smarter, and I understand, again, in hindsight, why they did it, but then again, in hindsight, probably should have just maxed him. And I think that with RJ, it's, well, look at how many teams have cap space this summer. There are a lot of them, this summer being the 2023 season. They're going to be a lot. And if you are a small market team with really nothing to lose and you want to just try to screw the Knicks over and you feel like, hey, maybe we can leverage something. Then the Knicks are in between a rock and a hard place. They either have to commit to RJ or they let him walk. And they're not going to let him walk. That would be disastrous. So they basically just learn from the son's mistake and use this as a way to help bring him back. And um, hopefully he's here for the long term future. But it just a lot of headaches seem to go away. The, the summer's still there with Donovan Mitchell, but uh, a lot of them also disappeared. All right. When we come back on Locked on Knicks, I want to continue to get into the implications of this RJ contract. What does it mean for the Knicks' other young players going forward? But before we talk about that, I wanted to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college betting needs and sports info this season. You can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including the this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores, and they even have updated odds on Rookie of the Year. Paolo Bancaro is the favorite at 3-2. to two. Even though he's a favorite, I kind of like the money odds there just because uh, I think he's going to easily be the best scorer of any of the rookies. If I'm looking down the list, though, Jaden Hardy at 40-1 to one intrigues me a whole lot because I, I think he's going to put up some points and play a big role for the Dallas Mavericks this season. 
But Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to check out all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. From a, a cap perspective, I guess it's sort of circling back to the first question. What does the Knicks' flexibility look like if, and, and maybe some people would consider this a long shot, but let's just say the trade is something along the lines of Grimes, whatever throw-ins you need to have, either Rose or Fournier, Cam or no Cam. Um, but it's basically Grimes and, and three unprotected first-round picks and however many um, protected first-round picks you need to throw in there to get this deal done. Are the Knicks essentially like pending a future RJ trade down the line, locked into a core of Brunson, Mitchell, RJ? And I, I, I may be in this scenario, I'm assuming they get off of Randall. I guess that, that that's sort of a, a very significant variable that I just don't like to think of because I can't imagine what that team would look like with Randall on it. And I, I don't particularly want to imagine what that team would look like with Randall on it. But where do you think the moves are for them to go from there, especially considering, as, as I noted earlier, like you're going to have to pay it quickly at some point. You're going to have to pay an OB at some point. Yeah, and if Cam Reddish is still here, you have to pay him in a year. So, you know, I think the the thing for the Knicks is that if they do decide the price for Mitchell is worth it and the Jazz decide to take the Knicks offer, then you're locked into that core for the next three years. And the reason I say three years is because Mitchell has his uh, player option, which he's likely to decline. And if you're the Knicks, you actually hope he declines it because there's the rule of the designated rookie max. You can't trade for two of those guys. So if you have Donovan Mitchell, you can't trade for, like, hypothetically, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Zion Williams, whether or not they're fits or whatever we want. Right. But in theory, you can't do it. And then Brunson has his player options. So you hope he uh, opts in, because if he opts out and walks, then the salaries the Knicks already have on the books, they don't. it doesn't really help them. Um, and then with Brunson, you might have to worry again about base year compensation because that's the year that the salary cap goes up exponentially. And, and, and that's the other nice benefit of RJ, that half of his contract is going to be at a time when the salary cap is much higher than when he locked it in. But so, yeah, for the next few years, a lot of what is currently on the team is what will be there. And that's OK. That's totally fine. It's just a matter of what picks you still have remaining and what salary you are willing to part with in order to bring in a player who is then better than Donovan Mitchell. And at that point, probably 2025, maybe 2026, but probably more likely 2025, that's when the Knicks try to go in on finally being a contender. Yeah, and that's that's what I find so fascinating in this, right? Because it's almost, I, I hate to use this terminology, but it, it's almost like raising a lamb for slaughter where when, when you're projecting how good RJ Barrett can be and you're you're wondering it's almost like an escalator and you're like all right when when is it going to stop when, when when does it level off and it's like all right if he gets this good that, that's perfect because then we can take him and we can take these two or three first round picks we have and we can turn him into again not a specific name but like a, a Jalen Brown type of player like or if he if he hits an even another level it just he's averaging 26 points a game with relatively good efficiency it's like oh you know if I, i'm not saying this is particularly likely but if, if luka Doncic told dallas he was going to leave you could say well we we got a uh, top 15 player in the league and we could throw you a million assets and we can go get someone who is a clear-cut number one guy in a championship team again those guys get traded once every 20 years so who knows but it's rare all, yeah oh yeah all that is to say like it, it's this weird thing where like you're almost betting against yourself and you and you're like calculating in your head where does he end up 
when I'm sure to most people, like the best case scenario is he, he's so good that you you don't want to trade him. But it's almost hard to it's hard to imagine anyone getting to that point if the end goal is a is a championship. So this is part roster building, part philosophy. But where are you at in terms of just like how you think about where RJ will end up and and who you want him to end up being with, with this kind of deal and and who they're bringing in? The challenge is that he was a third overall pick, so yeah. the expectations for that are high. The contract says, well, you're not the value of the third overall pick. You are somewhere below it. And that's understandable. I guess the question here as well is, do the Knicks believe that RJ could be a real star? Or at least do they feel that he would be better than what Donovan Mitchell is now, considering if they were honestly keeping him in the trade and adding to unprotected first? It seems that they view him highly enough to keep him, but not highly enough where they would take him off the table entirely. And you certainly hope that he turns into that. The nice thing about having RJ under contract now is Jalen Brunson's a really good point guard. And he is the best point guard the Knicks have had in quite a while. To be able to have the ball in his hands and RJ Barrett working off of him, there's a there's a possibility here that RJ's stock improves and you're looking at someone who's now more expensive. And then how does that affect your cap sheet? How does that affect your general plan, um, all of that. So the best thing, of course, would be for RJ to be the best version of what we want him to be. But having a point guard and having other talent around him that can do more with the ball too, that certainly helps him a lot. So I, I guess that's probably, you know, it's it feels like a, a fair middle ground. So fair. Yeah. I think it, it's so interesting to think about what he – looks like on a Donovan Mitchell team. And and again, Randall is is the big bugaboo in those in those conversations, right? Because I, I don't I don't know how much you guys have talked about this on Nick's film school, but I'm I'm sure it's been covered. I just I don't see the fit with all four of those guys at all. And I think everyone's almost in agreement on how fluky Randall's shooting was in, in 2021. And you would almost need that level of shooting, but then for Randall to be a completely different human being and be okay with that level of efficiency, not being the number one guy, not even being the number two guy for RJ to work. So I, I always circle back for like this commitment to RJ to s- some extent feels, I, 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 I can stop the question right here. Do, do you think RJ and Randall, even Mitchell aside are a one or the other situation? And obviously off of last year, you would say you're always going to keep RJ, but there were reports that I think it was Ian Begley who had this, that the Knicks not only shopped RJ for Mitchell, but they shopped RJ for other players around the league. And to be clear, I have no issue with that. I think that's just the Knicks doing their due diligence as you should do with anyone before giving them that kind of contract. But it does bring up questions where if Randall or RJ is an either or, it's not just asking who's the better player. It's asking, well, if RJ can fetch us this from around the NBA, maybe that's better to pair around Julius and try and repair his value when Julius's value is almost nothing. So all that's a long-winded way of saying, do you think the two can coexist together for any period of time longer than this trade deadline? I really don't. I'd like to believe it. I truly would. But you can only have so many high-usage players who aren't as efficient as they need to be. Yeah. And I just struggle to see how Julius can play off ball in the version of him that he is. And it's like, he's going to be turning 28 in November. I don't know how he 
changes his game, especially when he can say, look, I've been an All-NBA player doing what I've been doing. So it can come back. And, and even if we don't feel like it can, it's not going to change his style. There's the thought process of like, oh, well, you know, Tibbs is the coach. He'll be able to right the ship in some way. We saw last year how it fell on deaf ears if he was trying. It just they clearly were not running plays for him to operate differently than what he knew. So you'd like for him to buy in if he is still here, but I agree with you. I, I really don't see how it all resolves itself, especially if Donovan Mitchell is here and you're looking at four players who you know, are comfortable with the ball in their hands, two to three of them who can certainly be effective off ball. But with Julius, it's just, I don't, I just don't know how he's able to do it. I'd, I'd love for it to happen. I just don't see it. Yeah, we've talked about this pod again and again. It's almost the, the definition of insanity, believing like, oh, this is going to be the year. Like, he he can change. And to your point, we've seen the best version of it. But even that, that's, to me, the the kind of like the knife to the heart. Like, the best version yeah. of it doesn't work on what this team is going to be. And it's why, clearly, like, even if you want to say, like, in a vacuum, like, whatever that means in this context, like, he's a better player than Obi Toppin, I strongly would desire and, and, and deeply believe that this team would be better with Obi Toppin as their starting power forward. The only question is, can you get off of Julius at this point without giving up an asset? But let, let's just say the Knicks figure that out. They get off of Julius Randle. How do you see RJ Barrett fitting around a Donovan Mitchell and a Jalen Brunson? Because I, I think it's going to involve him bringing back aspects of his game. We, we didn't necessarily get to see a lot last year. I remember when he was a rookie. I, I'm not sure what the volume was, but at least in, in my head, it, it's it's yielded into my memory that he's a very good off-ball cutter. And he just, he, I think the reason he's beloved in New York, and that's maybe an underrated aspect of all this that we haven't touched on that much yet, is like, that's why it's so important to keep this guy is because he is beloved in New York. But the guy's like a hooper's hooper, for lack of a better term, in that it feels like he has that toughness. It feels like he has that basketball IQ that, unlike a Julius Randle, he is capable of being malleable and he is capable of reconfiguring his game around two stars. And in some ways, you look at a Donovan Mitchell, one of the best pull-up three-point shooters in the league. You look up at a Jalen Brunson, who who isn't that, but is such a savvy player. And in my mind, I just I, I have a gut feeling that as long as Julius is not on this team, those three are going to figure out a way to play together, but I still think there are some stiff challenges for RJ there, especially when the majority of minutes are still going to come with the Mitchell Robinson parked around the rim. But what, what are you looking for in the fit of those three guys, assuming that Mitchell trade does eventually go through? A lot of slashing, Just attacking the rim consistently, finding players in the corner for uh, driving kicks. I think with Mitch, it's a challenge, but at least with RJ, it feels like he often looks for Mitch when he is in that dunker spot. So if Mitch is at least, I don't know how much attention he's grab, he's getting when he's in the dunker spot, but at least, you know, I mean, RJ's big thing to me, it's more efficiency focused. Okay. So if he's slashing, he's at least getting to the line, most likely more, you would hope, um, which then, okay, is he making his free throws that can help with the, with the overall efficiency? Uh, is he finishing well? He did a really nice job as, um, as a corner three specialist and in, his second year and it's something that you'd hope to he goes back to because of the fact that they're players who he can trust to get him to where he needs to be in Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson you know with Brunson he's really good in catch and shoot the problem is he just doesn't have as many attempts especially from three as we would like um and Mitchell just the gravity that he'll command you at least would hope that that 
gives RJ the opportunity. So I do think it will take some time for them to all be settled, but the potential to at least be, you know, hey, it's your night, it's my night. It's almost like how last year it felt like, oh, there are four guys who can go off at any point. And the funny part was each one of them had a 40-point game. And that's not something to necessarily hang your hat on, but it just goes to show that if you could have things click in the right direction, like you've got something. And so the hope is that, okay, well, what if you have that, but just a lot better and younger and uh, it fits more cleanly. So um, certainly the hope, and I agree with you. I think having Obi there to at least be, there's not a lot of cutting that the Knicks do, but Obi's such a good cutter that yeah. in transition, especially with RJ, RJ is good in transition. Obi's great too. To be able to move the ball quickly, uh, I think that's super relevant. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hopefully. Yeah, I think it. I mean, obviously, shooting is is rightfully prioritized to such an incredible extent in the modern NBA. But between Ob Mitchell and RJ and, and and Brunson, frankly, I think the collective basketball IQ is so high there. And for um, Mitchell, RJ in a, in a slightly different way, and Ob the collective is so high you can find ways around a team that might not have ideal spacing, but to your point, if, and and it's, it's a big, if, if Obi can get up to 35% from three and, and show that a lot of his inaccuracy was due to the fear of, if I miss one of these, I'm going out of the game. I I'm a big believer in him having again, if he, if he's able to stay on the Knicks in this trade, big, if um, his just having a consistent role will make a very big difference in that respect. And Mitchell is just, he, he's not a great passer, but he throws some of the better like cross court on a dime passes you will see to opposite corners. And to your point, Brunson, one of the best shooters in the NBA from the corners, RJ, you flash back two years ago in that category as well. There, It, it might eventually take a coach more creative than Tom Thibodeau, but I, I think there's definitely a top five to top 10 offense in there somewhere. Uh I guess where, where this this leads me, and I heard you you talked about this on the RJ Barrett pod you guys did at Knicks Film School today. But where where is this whole summer left you on the front office? Because I know I I felt like a little discouraged after the draft, and obviously now we're seeing the full picture a little bit more about what that night meant and trading that pick meant. And I get it, and and I get the flexibility they were going for, and and ultimately those those three protected picks are are probably going to prove more essential to getting this Mitchell trade done than anyone that the Knicks would have taken at 11. But through all these negotiations, where were you at on the Knicks front office after everything we've seen this summer? I'd say as things stand right this moment without a Donovan Mitchell trade having been executed or the Knicks just being out of it completely, I've been happy. I'm happy with this summer. You know, the Knicks turned several second round picks, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Kemba Walker into Jalen Brunson, who I've been a big fan of for a while, and he certainly upgrades them at a, at a crucial point. Uh, I like the Mitchell Robinson contract more in the last three years than I do in this year, but I like the descending structure of it. I'm happy that they extended RJ Barrett. Um, would have loved for them to, to have operated over the cap this year, but I think they would have been more susceptible to tanking, uh, tampering issues because the teams that have been dinged for tampering did sign in trades, and the Knicks didn't so the hope is that if they get away with tampering you know clearly didn't do anything wrong but if they if they did (laughs) hypothetically hypothetically of course uh that everything should be fine so i'm happy with how they've operated 
I was okay with the trading out of the pick. I just wanted the details. And then when they came, I thought, all right, this is great. The one thing that I think is a bit of an issue as well, well, in addition to it'd be great to stay over the salary cap because if they kept Taj Gibson, that would solve a lot of the problems with salary matching with OB or Cam mm. because then that would pretty much get them to the point where they needed to be. Uh, but the other one is I'm sure that they didn't anticipate Don- Donovan Mitchell being on the market this year. And that's kind of out of their control. Utah got an amazing package from Minnesota and they couldn't turn it down. So I don't blame them for that. But the way that the Rose contract has the team option for 2023-24, the way that Fournier would have a one and one with the second year being a team option as opposed to two years and then a team option. It just getting the picks and, and moving. It just seemed like that would be the Knicks were perfectly set up to make that move in 2023 and where Donovan Mitchell would have cost less because it would be two years instead of three years of team control, but that's out of their hands. So I can't fault them for that, but what I can potentially fault them for is if I feel like they've overdone it. And even if the reality is that you have to give to get, I totally hear that. Doesn't necessarily have to be this year. Doesn't have to be this player. I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. But uh, as things stand right now, I think I'd, I'd give the this offseason B+. Plus. I, I think they made the improvements. It's just now on coaching to bring it all together. Yeah, I think I, I, I mentioned it when we did the, the first episode post-RJ, but I, I think you framed it really well on Twitter, just, just talking about the Charlie Ward curse and saying it, it was kind of a small hurdle to clear, but they had to do it. They haven't done it in 30 years, and it, it feels like you do have to grade them on the sliding scale of past Knicks front offices and these and these things that should be commonplace. Like you, you draft a player third, you expect to sign him to an extension. It, it almost, I mean, Kristaps is, is sort of the one guy who's gotten in the top five in recent years who was like a real threat. Like, oh, is he actually going to take that qualifying offer? Oh man, he might he might really do it. Guess guess we got a deal on him. Of course, that seems to have worked out for the better, but it's. The, it's a symptom of organizational health, I guess, is, is the way I would frame it. And and to me, that's that 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 is a baseline. Like we've heard for years and years and years, if the Knicks just operated as a normal NBA team, players will inevitably come. And now they're very close to getting a Donovan Mitchell. And and I'll I'll let you talk about this a little more right now. But you you were um, tweeting about it today that. RJ, like part of the appeal of having him back is that he's a guy, you look at his pedigree and you just look at some of the connections he's made over the year. You have those two guys, you have an organization that again, at the very least is operating just as a run of the mill NBA team. This is a group that should have appeal going forward and, and a front office seemingly that's smart enough to capitalize on that appeal. Yeah. And there will come a point where similar to how RJ was potentially in these offers that there will be other offers where RJ might be a part of them, but the, there's like a gravitas to RJ that he holds. And it's important to, to keep it in mind where he went to a prestigious high school, went to a blue blood for college. He, he works with Drew Hanlon in the sense of he has Drew Hanlon has a lot of great clients and they work out together and Canadian national team. There's some real talent in, in Canada. And it's kind of what's fascinating to me about the dynamics is a lot of the super teams that we have seen, they are, I almost want to say entirely, American driven. It's really rare for the international players to kind of team up. I'm not saying it, it doesn't happen. Of course it does. It's just, there's something about 
the camaraderie, maybe it's the AAU circuit, maybe it's the collegiate level. There's just, there are fewer barriers that exist. And if RJ is kind of immersed in all of that, if he's a focal point in New York, if the Knicks are doing well, it's really important that the Knicks have him there. And again, I, ideally he is the second star and then the Knicks go in on a third star. Who that is, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, in my mind, if you're going in for that third guy, it has to be better, someone better than Donovan Mitchell. And if Donovan Mitchell at his peak is a top 15 player, that's pretty incredible. You just need to find someone who is uh, better than him. The question, the thing is that those players don't grow on trees, so you have to find a way to do it. Yeah. And it has to be the right fit, but that's that's future Leon Rose's problem to, to deal with. So in the meantime, yeah, it's I didn't think I don't think RJ's untouchable. I feel like he was untouchable in this deal just because it didn't make any sense to move him. And uh, you know, never say never, but the indications, at least from Ian Begley, he's all he's all but off the table. So great, let's move on with other packages. And if we can't find the right one, we can always circle back. Yeah, your your co-host, uh, John, the great Jonathan Macker, he was he was talking about his newsletter today, like the the idea that maybe not having RJ in this deal was roughly equivalent to saying, all right, now you have to include Obi and Grimes. And I know there were also reports out there that even with RJ, the Knicks were going to have to include one of those three guys. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered. I looked at that and I was like, you know, just looking at them as players, maybe this is speculative on my part but i was like you know with what grimes and obi could be i honestly think i'd rather bank on one of the two of those guys being better than rj or their cumulative value being better than rj but you can't underrate that gravitas both in both in terms of what rj i think means to new york as being that number three pick and the pedigree and just like the swagger he has the personality he has and then i almost think it's i i am guilty of this like underrating the fact that rj has done it Maybe not from an efficiency perspective, but in terms of taking on that volume every night, to me, that was one of the most important developments for the Knicks last year that he showed, like, all right, I can physically shoulder this load and, like, towards the second half of the season, get to the free throw line eight to ten times a game, playing with the worst spacing in the NBA that doesn't even really resemble modern basketball, and I can just put my head down and barrel my way through the lane and do that over and over and over again. And that's where I keep coming back on RJ's value and, and this contract with, um, I think it was Stephen Bondi who had it today, like only being $107 million guaranteed, where I keep coming back to this being a good deal is that even if the efficiency doesn't improve and he, he never, and he still could become this, but he never becomes a guy who is an efficient creator of jump shots, whether from three or mid range that I think ultimately, unless you're just a, unless you're a center or you're a total Giannis-esque freak, you're going to need to have that as part of your game to be a perennial all-star. What RJ is right now, and just a moderately better version of that, and I think that's an inevitability with what kind of worker he is and how young he is, I think is worth the money that he's being paid. And to me, that is a baseline. Like, this contract only has upside. 100%. And especially the baked-in incentives would imply, okay, well, if he becomes the player that we all want him to be, then he'll make the money he needs to. I'm someone who I really prioritize wings more so than guards and certainly more so than bigs. But it's there's a lot of talk of how, you know, RJ's on the slower side. He's not explosive, and that's completely accurate. But to me, what wins a lot of the time is more uh, strength. And when you look at RJ, I mean, he is 22 years old. It takes time for these younger guys to really bulk up and use their strength and then know how to use their strength. And that's where I see RJ kind of going. It's why I think – you could say he's 
hopefully more of a late bloomer than a lot of his counterparts where, all right, uh, two of the guys who were in his class who got max contracts, John Morant and Darius Garland, are both incredibly quick guards. Uh, they, I mean, their games are very different, but they, they are, they're fast. They, they use speed to their advantage. Zion is Zion Williamson. RJ's a wing. He's, he's very different from all three of those players, and that's totally fine. It's just a matter of how can he learn to use his strengths to his advantage. And that's just kind of why I buy in. I know that the dedication is there. I know that the, the talent is somewhere in there. A lot of times it was all about his shooting form. His form seems fine. It's just being able, like, if he finishes a little bit better, if he shoots from the free throw a little bit better, uh, if he cleans up some of the things that aren't great in terms of shot selection, you're looking at a player who has a very profound impact on what this team looks like. And you would hope that with the attention that Mitchell and Brunson will command, that that opens the window for Archie to do something. Or if anything, let's say he's not this great offensive talent if he can then focus his energy on the defensive side to kind of you know so he's not overtaxed on one end versus the other so that's that's certainly where i'd like to see him but i think the contract's good i think it's fair happy to have him the dollar amount especially when it comes to matching salaries it doesn't it just doesn't really matter that much as long as like for example if if the knicks were worried about cap space then i could push back against my own argument and be like, well, there's an opportunity cost here. But now it's just, all right, they're above the salary cap. They're below the luxury tax. It's fine. They have, There's salary matching rules if they trade them. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I just think there's still, we, we keep saying if he is who he is, that's fine. There's just so much meat on the bone for him to get a, to become a better player, both as a playmaker and his ability to, generate separation despite not having that elite speed I, I do think that that was a leap in his game last year and the, and the big thing on him coming out of the draft was that he did have elite deacceleration. That, that's similar to how James Harden was unstoppable for year after year after year and if that jump shot even improves a modicum and his context it seems like it's inevitable that that's going to improve there's if not an all-star there's a a top four or five guy on a very, very good team as, as a minimum. And, and that, that already justifies this number with the way uh, the salary cap is going to go up. But Jeremy, I, I want to go out on this because we, we get, we get so caught up in the hypotheticals on the show. What will RJ be? Will the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell? And we overlook the fact that if, if the Knicks don't make a move, I, I think this is the most interesting roster and, and situation and, and exciting that the team's prospects have been in, in recent memory and, and maybe even past that in a very, very long time. What's one thing, whether it's a lineup or a player or, or just a, a general excitement for the season that you're looking forward to at, at the start of this year when we actually get Knicks basketball back in our lives? It's a great question. So does it have to be excitement? No, I have something. Okay. Yeah, it's not yeah, dread yeah. or anything. It's more yeah. just something. That that's good. I, I didn't want dread. I didn't. I didn't want dread. Def- no, no, no time for dread. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the Knicks don't have to do the Donovan Mitchell deal. That's fine. I there's a certain price point can walk away from it, but there is something that the Knicks have at stake, which is that there is a very good argument that there's still the roster logjam, because you're looking at what Tibbs runs as a ten man rotation, and you have eleven players on larger guaranteed contracts fighting for 10 spots. And that doesn't even include Deuce McBride, who would presumably play when Derrick Rose is injured, which based on Rose's track record happens at least 30 games a year, 20 games a year uh, on average. I mean, last year, 
they certainly held him out longer than he probably needed to be, but that doesn't even matter. And then, of course, Jericho Sims is there, but you can't play Sims with Hartenstein or with Robinson. So, again, you can make the argument that every single player on the Knicks roster right now deserves to see time, but, you know, you're not squeezing out Derrick Rose. At least Tom Thibodeau is not going to do that. Quickly is going to see time. Uh, Obi and Randall is its own separate conversation, but Obi's going to get time to play next to Hartenstein. But then you, of course, have Cam versus uh, Evan Fournier. And, you know, you, you have Evan Fournier on $18 million this year. He's going to play. And you have Cam Reddish, who you just traded a first-round pick for, and it's a contract year, so he's got to play. But he's not – Tibbs isn't going to run an 11-man rotation. And, of course, there's Quentin Grimes, who I would imagine starts if nothing happens. So it's not that the Knicks can just, you know, say we're done – we don't want to – deal with Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz right now. We can revisit this later. They can do that. It's also, okay, well, we have way too many players. A lot of times it sorts itself out. Last year, it just didn't. It took an injury, which, again, can happen, but it's just a risk. There's a lot of risk that's there, and then you get the flack of, well, Tibbs has too many players to juggle, and it's on the front office to kind of clear that up. So it's why I ultimately think a deal does occur, but in the event that it doesn't, it's kind of fascinating to know how this gets resolved in whatever manner. Yeah, and you just you get the feeling that there, there's there's a usage and a context for each of these guys. It just it's making it all work. And then I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll end on some dread. I, I think it only makes sense without Julius Randle on this team. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Jeremy Cohen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, before I send you out, can you tell everyone one more time where they can find all your great work? Yeah, absolutely, Gavin. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me at Nick's Film School, where I do at least one pod every single week with Jonathan Macri and Andrew Claudio. Uh, and then at once in a blue moon, when I finally decide to write something that can't really be described through uh, podcast form, uh, you can find me at the Strickland, where we have the uh, best editor-in-chief on the planet in Alex Wolf. I don't know what happened to that guy, but he did, he did great work back in the day. You know, just, 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 just been MIA. Yeah, yeah. He, I should say he has been a great editor in chief, or was. I don't know. Right. It's, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe there's a, a rebirth, a Julius Randall season, if you will. That's in. Yeah. I I, I love the Strickland during the Ewing days. Uh, Jeremy, thank thank you so much. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, guys.